0: Bum 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 right folks welcome back hope you enjoyed the break and you are now listening to the gingers gridiron and golf podcast it is no longer ginger and dutch so for all the loyal listeners out there who have made the transition over we appreciate it dutch and the greek will be here from time to time more in a part-time role but we're narrowing in and narrowing our focus to talk all things nfl professional football and the world of golf Women's, men's, and amateur alike. So we're excited to bring that to you moving forward. Thanks for coming across to the dark side. And uh, we're also excited to bring you a jam-packed episode today talking about the NFL Draft 2021, Cleveland, Ohio, Thursday night, three nights from tonight. We're excited to have two amazing guests on. We got Will McFadden from Falkaholic on and former Atlanta Falcons NFL reporter. And Matt Verderam from Fan Sided, senior NFL reporter, and Stack in the Box podcast. Two amazing guests. Dutch on is is on after the break. We're talking the world of golf, Brooke Henderson, the PGA Tour, forty million dollar new initiative, and our picks for this week's Valspar Championship in Florida at the Copperhead Course at Innisbrook. So before we switch over to our interview with Matt. Wanted to cut, touch on a couple key points here talking about the NFL draft. First being, it is a feast or famine draft, folks. There's four teams here in this draft that are going to be pretty quiet. And if you're the fan bases of one of these four teams, you are going to have a long couple days in terms of finding yourself some impact players or things to get excited about. And three of them coming out of that, uh, the NFC West. Uh, You look at San Fran, they've got some picks. They've got that number three overall pick, the pick that everybody's talking about. But uh, the rest of that division is going to be pretty quiet. Let's start with the Arizona Cardinals uh, with the 16th overall pick and the 49th overall pick. And then it goes stone cold, silent, no picks in the third, no picks in the fourth. So it'll be a quiet draft for the Cardinals. I'll get into what I think they're going to do a little bit later on here in the podcast. Next, the Los Angeles Rams have to wait until the 57th overall pick to make their first selection in this 2021 draft. And then they have 89-104 and 142, and that's it. So a quiet um, draft for the Los Angeles Rams after making much noise in the offseason with the monster trade for franchise quarterback Matthew Stafford with the Detroit Lions. And the last team out of the NFC West that's going to be real quiet, and that is Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, and John Snyder up in the Pacific Northwest, up in Seattle. They're going to wait to the 56th overall pick to make their selection. Only three picks overall in this draft, not like Seattle. So it'll be interesting to see here uh, with a 130 and a 252 what Seattle can do to help themselves um, and this football team moving forward here. And then the Houston Texans. Uh, they've made their big moves, we all know about. Still got some big questions at quarterback with Deshaun Watson, but only the 67th, 110, and 148th overall pick in the top 150 here for the Houston Texans. So um, finding it hard to believe that they're going to be able to find some real, real big impact players, especially when we uh, talk to Matt and we listen more about how uh, a lot of the talent evaluators Feel that it, there's a drop off here at uh, at 75, and the second thing, which we'll talk again about with uh, with Matt Bataram, but um, some of the medical information when you when you take a look at all the information that's accumulated to make these decisions and to create these draft boards um, in all of these NFL general managers and and, uh, and offices and facilities. Um, 176 games attended, 400 Zoom calls, 600 players interviewed by the San Francisco 49ers. So you start to hear some of these numbers and some of these stats. But one thing looming large here that we've heard about over the last 24 to 48 hours in terms of this draft specifically, comparatively to others is the lack of medical information that's out there and available. So it'll be interesting to see what happens here um, in terms of will teams feel comfortable or not comfortable and it's a perfect little segue for us to slide on over into our interview with Matt Vitteram hope you enjoy all right listeners well let's uh let's get into it here with uh Matt Vitteram talking NFL Draft 2021 Stack in the Box podcast with Fan sided. Matt tell me a little bit more about yourself with the Stack in the Box podcast and Fan and uh what you're thinking here for the 2021 draft.
1: Sure. I'm uh, the senior NFL reporter over at FanSided. I've uh, been there for six years. We've been doing the stack in the box podcast now for about three and a half. Um, and looking forward to this draft. Um, if, by the way, if, if you want to subscribe, but you can find that podcast anywhere that you listen to your pods and, and it's, uh, easy enough, leave a rating, leave a review. If you want to leave a question, the review will answer it. Um, and I always really appreciate it. Do it once a week. It's a national podcast. We hit on all the teams. Um, as far as the draft, look, I think I feel like everybody else right now, right? You're kind of just waiting. It's been so many months. I feel like we've just been talking about it and talking about it. Now we're finally going to get some action. The draft really starts at three with the 49ers. We're going to see who they take where it is. It might be Matt Jones. It might be Trey Lance. We're going to find out. Um, but I, I think beyond just the obvious with the quarterbacks, look it's a deep class at receiver. You talk to people around the league. They love that class. They love the corners. They love the offensive linemen, although I do think the offensive linemen maybe it doesn't feel as deep as it felt maybe a month, month and a half ago with all the medicals now coming back and the measurements and whatnot. So um, deep at those positions, very thin at a lot of others. Um, and I think how, how you view this class is really dependent upon what needs you have on the roster.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. And and as as all drafts are, you're you know you're going to get a run at certain positions and and not a run. And and you know you had a, a recent article out talking about um, the interest around you know not only the 49ers and Atlanta but also Cincinnati and and how you felt that they were a little bit of a, a player in this draft and how it were to unfold. Um, talk a little little bit more about how you feel the importance of that fifth overall pick with Cincinnati can affect kind of how the rest of the top 10 plays out.
1: Sure. So, look, I think the top three picks are going to be quarterbacks. And if the Falcons move out of that pick then at four, then then all bets are off. It'd probably be for another quarterback. But if not, um, Pitts is probably the guy there. In fact, if they stay at four and they don't take him, I'd be shocked. Yeah, I agree with that. So, if they stay there and they take Pitts, you get to Miami. Now, Miami's got – or, excuse me, you get Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a fundamental choice at five. You're either taking protection for Burrow with a left tackle, probably Penny Sewell, maybe Rashawn Slater if you you want to go a little rogue, Um, or you're going to give Burrow his old running mate in Baton Rouge and you're going to give him Jamar Chase. Um, Mm -hmm. If they take Chase, the Dolphins find themselves in a very hard spot because they traded back to six thinking, well, we'll get either Chase or Pitts. Well, now they wouldn't get either one of them. Would they try to trade back at that point, or would they just take a guy like Jalen Waddell?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, and and then and then you start looking at do we have a very early run on these receivers? Do these receivers start flying off the boards a lot faster than people thought? If, however, the Bengals take Sewell, then okay, I think you do get Miami taking Chase, but then you might not see another receiver go until maybe eleven with the Giants. You might see those receivers start sliding a little bit more. So I think I think you know, the the pivot point for receivers is at five. If Chase goes five, you might see these receivers go a lot earlier, even you know, as a domino effect toward guys like Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman. Those guys might go faster and, and more furious than people anticipated.
0: Yeah, that, that makes total sense. You could even see a like a Kadarius Tony come up into a spot yep. that we would have never, never expected him to uh to get to. Um, I know you touched on on Cincinnati. How do you see the at that point? How do you see the rest of the top 10 unfolding? Do you you possibly see um, a team from the mid teens coming up with the likes of, you know, a Carolina or a Denver or even a Detroit? They're kind of a a team that a lot of people are talking about as to what's going to happen with them. Um, do you see a Philly or New England coming up into that, or do you see at that point the rest everybody kind of making their picks and just taking the best available or draft in need?
1: I don't think Philly's gonna move up. They just have too many picks. I think they they were smart to, to accumulate more from them this offseason. Um I look at Detroit and say there's a trade down if I've ever seen one. Look, they need they need so much help. Yeah. The Lions to me, if they if they get any kind of real offer to trade down, they have to do it. I'm keeping an eye on New England, certainly, like everybody else. Are they going to try to get a quarterback? Are they going to try to trade for Garoppolo? Or are they going to try to move up if Justin Fields is here? The other team that I just keep looking at is Denver. Denver has no shot in the AFC with Drew Locke. None. They're yeah. never going to win that division with Drew Locke. If Justin Fields or Trey Lance is there at six, at seven, if you're Denver, hell, if they're there at four, do you start thinking about what would it take for us to get up there? And I think you have to consider that. Denver's roster is good, but they don't have a, they don't have a quarterback. Yeah. So, you know, those are a couple of teams. And I always look at the, the long-range play as well, like teams in the 20s. Pittsburgh and New Orleans come to mind. Would one of those teams say, you know what, we'll, we'll go up 15 spots. We'll go up and get our guy. And for people who say, "Well, it's a huge jump," I, I get it. I mean, the Texans did it for Deshaun Watson, the Chiefs did it for Patrick Mahomes. Like, there's precedent for it. So, yeah, yeah, um, I was looking for those teams as well. You know, even a Washington, a team that might really like one of these guys, and they get to six, they get to seven. You start going, you know what? I'm willing to, I'm willing to go Make all the in jump. and go yeah. get a guy.
0: Yeah. Do you, Do you think with the likes of a Pittsburgh or a New Orleans, still uh, to me, they would, those guys would have to fall out just outside of the top 10 for them to make that jump, right? Like, traditionally, don't you usually see the precursor trade? You know, uh, somebody coming from 24, 27 gets to, you know, 12, 13, 14, and then jumps into the top 10? Do you think they'll have to have that precursor trade, or do you think you could make enough of a move there from, you know, New Orleans at 28 or Pittsburgh at 24, like you said, to fly all the way up to 7, 8 to make that
1: move? I think if you like a guy enough, you do whatever you got to do with that position. And look, you know what? People think of Mahomes now. They think of him as this this deity of a quarterback. I remember that draft. I remember covering that draft and people saying they were nuts for trading up 17 spots for Patrick Mahomes. I mean, ripped by a lot of people nationally. And I'm not – listen, I'm not knocking anybody who ripped him because nobody knew that – Patrick Mahomes was going to be this, but the chiefs really believed that he was going to be a great quarterback. They were right. If you're Pittsburgh or you're New Orleans or you're even Chicago or Washington, and you got to give up multiple first, but you know, let's just say it's Justin Fields and he's there and you just firmly believe he can be an all pro level quarterback. You do it. Now you do it understanding that if it doesn't work, everybody's getting fired. Yeah. But if it works, Everybody's got a job for fifteen years, and then they got a job after that because everybody's going to remember as, oh yeah, you you were the one who wanted Justin Field. You were right.
0: Yeah, no, you're you're bang on. You're bang on, Matt. Um, you know, we, we, everybody loves the sexy first round, first round, but you know, drafts sometimes are won and lost in, in rounds two, threes, and fours and fives, as you know, because you're going to find those those starters and those impact players. What's a team that that you're watching on day two, day three? Um, you know, I, a team that I kind of find interesting is is the Dallas Cowboys. You know, six picks in the top 150. They've got some needs, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But what's a team that you're going to be watching, not only on the first night, but as we move forward into uh, day two, day three?
1: Well, I always look at the teams that are closer to competing for a title because I always say to myself that those are the picks that a lot of times put teams over the hump. And, you know, I'm looking at a team like the Packers, who last year everybody thought they were going to take a receiver in the first round. They never even took a receiver, period. Yeah. And they ended up having a great year. Fell short, but you do wonder, hey, you know, if they had another receiver, would that have helped them get over the hump against Tampa? Maybe, maybe not. We'll never know. I think for the Packers, and the class is deep, you can't make that mistake again. You've got to go out and get a guy. If it's in the first round, fine. Second round, fine. But you got to go get another receiver for Rodgers. Um, I think that's critical. I, I look at now. I mean, you know, Baltimore traded second round pick to the Chiefs and part of that Orlando Brown trade, but yep. they pick up an extra third, an extra fourth. Like, what is Baltimore going to do? Yeah. Because Baltimore's drafted really well in recent years. I mean, that's a, that's the reason they've gotten as good as they've gotten. But they have clearly hit a ceiling here with this group. And they have multiple now picks in the first, third, and fourth via the Chiefs. Like, you need to replace Orlando Brown. You also have to get better. Like, you have to find a way. And, like, to me, how do you do that? I don't love the tight end class. I had one GM flat out tell me, and I'm using his word, the the, the tight end class stinks outside of Kyle Pitts. Outside of Pitts, yeah. Uh, I mean, can the Ravens – can the Ravens prove that wrong? Can they find a guy who goes with Mark Andrews? Obviously, Andrews is terrific. But they have, you know, maybe a two tight end deal there, more of a pass catcher instead of a guy like Boyle, who's just an inline blocker. Yeah. Um, can you find another receiver? Can defensively, can they find an edge rusher in a class that is not deep at edge? But can they find one because they lost Judon and Ngakwe? Like these are the teams to me in the second round. If you go back and look, like Tampa Bay last year, yes, they got Tristan, Tristan worse in the first round, but you look at that second round pick. Okay, and they get Antoine Winfield Jr. He was Game. huge for them. Game. Huge. Yep, yep. The Chiefs a couple of years ago, and he got hurt for the playoffs, but Juan Thornhill was yep. a huge reason that defense was, was so much better down the stretch, and they ended up going on to win the Super Bowl. You know, last year the Chiefs had LeJarius Sneed in the fourth round, who if they redrafted that draft tomorrow, he'd probably be a top-ten pick. Yeah, like, 100%. You, you know, the best teams – They find guys on day two, early day three, who can come in and who can make an impact. And we've seen that from recent Super Bowl champions. And I suspect that we'll be feeling the same way uh, this time again next year about whoever wins uh, Super Bowl 56. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. A team that you're right, you you nailed that on with Green Bay. You know, you got an extra pick in the fourth, fifth and sixth round. Yep, They've got the firepower to go manipulate the board and, and trade some of these extra picks to go. If they really like a guy, like you said, to go get that guy. To kind of help push them over the top, right? You mentioned uh, one thing that I found intriguing, and I saw I saw it on your on your Twitter feed, Matt. Was um, you know some some GMs and and some of the uh, you know talent um, prognosticators talking about you know a, a real drop off after you know the top seventy five picks. Yeah, talk to us about that. What's uh, what's involved? Is it just the fact that there's there's just so many classes or so many positions that aren't that deep in the draft and and things are going to run out from that end or talk to us a little bit more about that drop off and why why you know the world of the NFL feels that way
1: I think there's just a, a thought that you know when you look at this class in totality it's very positional heavy so obviously the quarterback at the very very top and then you have a lot of receivers a lot of corners a lot of offensive linemen depending on how you feel on some of the arm measurements and the medicals okay but after that it's not a good class in terms of there's I mean, Parsons is really the only linebacker of real note. Mm-hmm. The edge rushers, you can make an argument for against almost all these guys. Rousseau out of Miami's probably the one, he may he's the best one. Kid out of Georgia as well. Um, I won't even try to pronounce the name. I'll 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 butcher it into yeah. an embarrassing level. Um, you know, you look around, I mean, D-tackle, there may not be a D-tackle going the first round. Like you know, I think you just look at the, a lot of these guys. By the way, one D tackle that I do think is interesting in this class, kid out of North Carolina State, uh, Aleem McNeil. He is somebody who a lot of teams seem to like. Um, by the way, a guy who now is a D tackle, played high school ball as a running back, and was a 275 pound outfielder. So, wow. athleticism for days in Aleem McNeil. Um, just a guy that I think if you are looking for a D tackle, he might be someone worth watching. But Look, you know, it's just – I think once you get to the middle of the third round, you're just – most people in the league that are evaluating this draft feel like you're going to see a drop-off there. And I think that, by the way, was part of this thing with the Ravens and Chiefs and that trade they made was, you know, for Kansas City, I don't know how hard it was for them to give up a third and a fourth round pick because they got the second back. And I think they kind of looked at it and went, all right, I mean, we were going to have, you know – two top 75 picks without the Brown trade. Now we don't have a first round pick, but we still have two top 75 picks. There's just both in the second round. And we have Orlando Brown. Like that was a, a fairly large motivating factor. And I think for them, the third and fourth round pick was like, well, by that time we're, we're throwing lottery tickets out in the wind anyway. Um, and so, but a lot of teams, a lot of scouts have spoken to GMs, people around the NFL agents, even, feel like at, at about pick 75, that's where you're going to see a talent drop off. So I expect teams early to trade back and try to accumulate more top 75 picks, maybe even try to stretch it to top 80, 85. But once we get toward that 75th pick, I think you're going to see a lot of teams start trying to trade up, trying to trade into that top 75 um, and using some of that excess capital they have. So I, I think that's kind of what we should expect to see the first couple of days of the draft.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. So you, you could almost have... Um, You know, maybe a round two being more active, round two and and the first half of round three being more active than we see on the first night, per se.
1: Yeah, I I think I think on night one, teams will try to trade back because I don't. Another thing I think you you, kind of gather from talking to people in the league is I don't know that a lot of people feel there's a huge difference between. 30 and 60. Like, I, I don't – and by the way, that, that's a lot of drafts. A lot of yeah. drafts that happens where you kind of get those those marquee blue chip guys at the top, and then you get to the meat and potatoes of the draft. Not, so, not to where you're, you're kind of throwing darts, but more like, the, hey, we think this guy's a good player. Maybe he's got a flaw or two. And I think that, that 30 through 60 or 40 through 70, I don't know that there's a huge difference in the grades that a lot of those guys are getting. I think it's really just minute things and what team needs what. Um, but I do think you're going to see a lot of trading back early or at least teams trying to trade back early. And then as we get into day two and we're getting to the top of the third round, first 10 picks of the third round, I think you're going to start seeing even a late second teams starting to try to, Hey, we'll package a couple of fourths in a third we'll package a third and next year's third or next year's second yeah. and trying to move up. I think that'll happen.
0: Gotcha. And one last question before we let you go here, Matt, um, you know, reports coming out over the weekend and and today, especially in terms of um, some of the medical stuff, and and not having full medicals on on some of these prospects, do you think that plays into um, any of the teams? How does that differ amongst teams in terms of feeling comfortable, not feeling comfortable? How would, would that affect um, the draft thought or the draft process uh, in terms of team versus team?
1: Oh, it it matters. It definitely matters. Look, normally anyone who's unaware, um, normally you go to the combine all 32, all 32 clubs and they, they bring their medical personnel and you go there and you, and all these, all these players go to the same medical center and they all get tested. They go through the whole process. And with this, it's, it's much more scattershot this year. And I can tell you for a fact, I tweeted this out and wrote about it and stacked in the box at Monday morning over at fanside. Like to go back to that Orlando Brown trade for a minute, those medical things that, you know, the, the medical reports that every team's trying to get in the top 150 prospects that the NFL puts out. That was a big factor in why the chiefs traded for Orlando Brown because the chiefs, I, I don't know that they were overly thrilled that they got back. Yeah. Um, and so look, every team's different. Some teams are going to be a lot more comfortable with some things than others, others would be, but, I think the overarching point is without the combine and without the ability to bring these guys in for private workouts, it, it makes teams a lot more lear. I know teams – I've had a couple different general managers tell me, well, these, these pro day numbers with guys running four threes, throw them right in the garbage. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're like – these guys are running like 37-yard you know, uh, dashes instead of 40. Yeah. They're getting, a, they're getting a, good, a good time, a good whistle from a, from a coach. Or, or somebody there who has a reason to want to see them do well. Um, I, I think it's a lot more about film this year and a lot more about, hey, we're going to either rely on this medical evaluation or, hey, you know what, we're a little more leery because we didn't have the normal process. And I think it's just each, each team's um, preference. But I think teams that rely heavily on numbers and times and measurements, those teams have a big problem coming in the next couple of days.
0: Yeah. Would you ever see a team um, trading back because they didn't like the numbers or the the medical with a couple of the prospects that they had on their board um, at a certain position?
1: Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. I yeah. mean,
1: it, and that'll happen. And look, I mean, this isn't a medical thing, but yep. Devontae Smith weighing 166 pounds. There are teams that are not going to care. They're not going to care. They're going to say, that's fine. He was great in college. We'll take him. Yeah. There are going to be other teams that look at 166 pounds, go, we wouldn't take him in the second round. Yeah. I mean and and I think that that example is to serve to say look teams just look at these things wildly different. I mean they they just they they vary so much. One team could take DeVonte Smith 10 and maybe they're right and he's great and they don't even think about it. And another team would go they're crazy. I wouldn't have taken him at 60. And that's just that's the nature of the draft. It really it is the old cliche of the eye you know the the beauty being in the eye the be older. That is incredibly true in the nfl draft awesome
0: well that's great matt we appreciate you uh you know providing a good insight into the the nfl and and you know your chats with some of these general managers and and um you know talent prognosticators and and talent evaluators so appreciate that let our listeners know one more time uh, where we can find you on stack in the box and fan sided and uh we'll uh we'll get you out of here
1: sure uh thanks so First of all, on Twitter, where I'm at way too often. You can check me out uh, at Matt Vertiram, uh V-E-R-D-E-R-A-M-E. God didn't bless me with an easy name to spell. Um, and then just uh, Stack in the Box column goes up every Monday morning on fansided.com, covers the whole league, 2,500 words, um, has some insider nuggets in it every week. And then Stack in the Box podcast goes up on Tuesdays. During the season, it's twice a week, off-season once a week. Uh, cover the league wall-to-wall. This week, we have George Kittle on. Uh, from the 49ers. he'll be he'll be stopping by on Wednesday morning, actually, so I'll we'll have a little special edition with him. But uh, you know if if you want to uh, grab another podcast after this one and 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 hear some more football, uh, go iTunes, Google Play, Spotify wherever you want to go and and subscribe. And like I said, if you'll if you leave a rating and review and you'll leave a question in the comments, uh, we will answer them for you. Amazing.
0: Well, appreciate you coming on. appreciate your time, Matt, and uh, we'll catch up closer to the season and and thanks again. Thank you absolutely amazing insight there from matt what a great way to start out the new podcast and a great feel for what talent evaluators are looking for how they tend to build their boards and uh nice to hear some of his thoughts on this draft the uh some of the nfl teams what he's hearing out there on the street from some of these teams and some of the smoke screens uh, out there as well so without further ado let's get into uh ginger's nfl draft review here and what he feels um or what i feel is going to happen here um moving forward here into thursday night and beyond into rounds two three four and five where the draft is won who's got potential who doesn't what teams are looking to fill and i'll use the first round draft order we're going to rapid fire we're going to quickly talk about all 32 teams here um i know we've kind of talked about four there before we got into that interview a few from the NFC West. But let's start with that first round draft order. And that starts with none other than the Jacksonville Jaguars. And the tank for Trevor season has now culminated with a success. We all know Trevor Lawrence. It's a lock. We'll go to the Jacksonville Jaguars with the first overall pick. But the key part to this draft is the seven other picks inside the top 150 for the Jaguars, 25, 33, 45, 65, 107, 131, and 146. What is this team, what is Urban Meyer and this new regime going to do to build around Trevor Lawrence? You've got James Robinson in the backfield. Marvin Jones comes over at receiver. You've got Shark. You've got some, some pieces there around him. You've got a young defense that you've drafted and tried to build up but you still need some help there so outside of this quarterback at one where do they go do do they see this tackle market or this tackle draft being strong enough with the fourth or fifth best tackle to take one at 25 or 33 cam robinson's playing on the franchise tag is there a left tackle that falls to 23 do you take some of this capital and move up and go and get another tackle into the mid-teens um when your pick comes or when that when those picks start to come around. Um, Can you find a trade maybe with Arizona or the Giants at 11 to go get another tackle? Or do you take a linebacker? Does Parsons fall to you at 25 and you take a linebacker there? Or do you go move up and go get Parsons from Penn State? There's another option. So tons of things on the board. Interior offensive line help. Um, Tight end help they need is a fail-safe option for Trevor Lawrence to go out and be able to really maximize his value and his potential here in year one as the new franchise quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars so exciting for them now on to the number two pick another exciting draft listen it's the New York J E T S sucks 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 as my man Dutch would say but they've got firepower seven picks inside the top 150 um, as well They've got 23 in the first round, 34, 66, 87, 108, and 147. But they need help also. Not only are they gonna, they're going to go out and get their franchise quarterback. This is also a lock, folks. They've got Zach Wilson coming in from BYU. They've loved him. They've they've not hidden the fact that that's the case. But they need help at corner. They need help at edge. You, you know, you look at what the Jets have done. You know, you draft Makai Becton last year at left tackle, and you and you've locked him in here. But, you know, you need to shore up that offensive line. You bring in Carl Lawson uh, to help rush the passer in the offseason. You know what? He's only a 5-6 sack guy. You overpaid for it a little bit, but at least it helps you a little bit on the edge. But they need more help. You look at some of the receivers within this division, the Buffalo Bills specifically with Diggs and Beasley and Davis and Emmanuel Sanders. And then you move over to Miami with the potential to go get a big-name receiver to pair with Mike Gesicki. And New England's improved with their um, wide receiving core and their weapons. The Jets need to find a corner. So do the Jets at 23 take the best available corner? Or do they try to move up with some of this ammunition to go get a Patrick Sertan or a Sante Samuel, uh, a Sante Samuel Jr.? Options there for the Jets um, at 2 and beyond. Some believe the draft starts at three, some believe it starts at four, some believe it starts at five, but we'll start with three. In my mind, um, this you don't move up to go do what you did there to get to three as the San Francisco 49ers to not take a quarterback. And I think they know the first two quarterbacks coming off the board, and by the sounds of it, they are toggling between Mac Jones and Trey Lance now, and we're going to go quarterback, 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 one, two, three. So it'll be interesting to see now which one they take as it as it pertains to who's left, who's out there, what happens with Jimmy G. San Fran doesn't have a lot of other firepower. They do got some needs. They, they need some help on the interior offensive line that's aging some, some exodus out through the middle of that line. They need help at corner and edge and safety. Uh, we saw that secondary um, get pretty much torn apart towards mid-end of last season. So it'll be interesting to see what they do at 43, 103, and 108. Um, but John Lynch had the cojones to move up to three, and I think it's to go get their new franchise quarterback, and you could see a Jimmy Garoppolo trade out as we move into phase uh, Phase 2, Phase 3 of free agency and roster culmination as we move closer to the season. And the number four pick, this is where I believe the draft starts because this will be... Out of the first four picks, the only non-quarterback, I believe, um, that will not be taken or that will be taken. And I think this is a lock. But before we get dive too much into Atlanta Falcons and their picks, let's hop over and talk to the expert. And hope you enjoy our time with Will McFadden. All right, listeners. Well, let's bring on the experts. The freelance lighter for Falkaholic. Spends way too much time on Twitter. Former Falcons reporter. He's in, tuned into his team. Let's welcome Will McFadden to the podcast. Will, are you on the line with us there?
2: Yeah, really excited to uh to talk about the Falcons, the draft, what all could happen. So uh, let's get into it. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, no problem. No problem. Thanks for coming on. Um, let's start where everybody's talking because... Everybody believes that, you know what, this draft is going to start with the number four overall pick with uh, with Atlanta. What can be done here? Is, is, this, a, is this a lock with, with Pitts here, or do you see them possibly trading back or kind of going rogue and taking somebody that nobody's really expecting?
2: Um, I don't know if they'll go rogue and take, you know, somebody that nobody's expecting because we, you know, being in the top five, we all know kind of the players who are talented enough to go in that range. But mm. I do think, you know, all options are very much on the table for them and, and frankly should be, it would be unwise for them to kind of show their hand uh, before they come on the clock at number four. Uh, and so I, I know that the reports have come out today that, you know, Pitts might be the guy that they really like. I still think that quarterback is something that could be on the table and, and should be on the table. Uh, I, I know that this time of year there's, it's just so hard to trust anything that you hear, uh, and having been inside of the building, you know, at everybody's paranoid, nobody wants to say too much, say the wrong thing, uh, give tip their hand in any way, shape or form. And so a lot of times, you know, they do send out these messages through the media and they do use well-known you know, media sources and kind of say, eh, we like this guy a little bit when that may not be the case at all. And you're just trying to either in this case, raise the value of that number four pick in a trade by making somebody think that they really need to now outbid you to get the guy that they like, if they like him a little bit more than the Falcons. Um, and, and so I think that, you know, there's a chance that that is, is on the table as well. So I, I don't, there's no pick that would probably surprise me at four among the players that we've all been discussing for the past, you know, month and a half, two months.
0: Yeah. That makes, that makes total sense with, with some smoke screens and and different things like that. If it was the quarterback, um, which two do you think they're, they're toggling between right now? If it was the quarterback, you you know, do you think Jones, has a has a a chance to fall there, or do you think they would be even be interested in in a fields with you know Arthur Smith and and his kind of offensive philosophy? Do you think that would be a fit?
2: I definitely think uh, I I think any of these quarterbacks could could fit. I mean Arthur Smith's scheme is a lot like you know Kyle Shanahan's. It it does make things a little bit easier for the quarterback, but. It only does so if they have the the right traits and tools that, you know, a quarterback would need to succeed in that type of scheme. We did see Matt Ryan kind of struggle his first year in, in 2015 working with Kyle Shanahan, but then everything clicked and it was perfect. So in this draft, I think all of the, the top quarterbacks can plug into this scheme. It would just look different, right? And so Justin Fields and Trey Lance obviously have much more athletic upside and, The story just Justin Fields works in so many non on the field ways. He's from he's from Georgia. He was the number one recruit coming out uh, or actually number two, just behind Trevor Lawrence, also from Georgia. But it would be kind of a coming home story. He did go to Georgia, didn't really ever start there while at Georgia. But, you know, this would be a homecoming for him. So off the field, it makes sense for. A franchise that would want another face of the franchise type of person. Justin Fields fits in that way. But on the field, both he and Trey Lance would. It's something that I've just been thinking about uh, recently in, in past months is the best quarterbacks now are able to do things outside of the structure of the offense. And they're able to be weapons in their own right. You know, you look at Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers was doing that for a long time and still does it at a high level. But they're they're not players that Everything kind of around them needs to be spot Perfect. on to to work yep. out. Yeah, it, they're they're players who are able to elevate kind of the basic structure of the offense with the way that they can improvise or or play off rhythm or make just incredible throws, different things like that. And I think what makes this quarterback class so interesting is that there are a lot of guys at the top that can do some of those things. You know, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Trey Lance. Those are four quarterbacks who offer something outside of just the can play from within the pocket, make the right reads, what have you. Um, so in that sense, I, I, for me personally, it's Fields or, or Lance, and I do think that at least one of them will be there at four. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I, I, I would go Fields.
0: Awesome. That's great insight and, you know, a little scheme breakdown as well on how they fit. You know, also with those rumors about with Pitts coming out, we hear this morning uh, early from from, you know, well-known sources that that Julio is possibly on the table and and could be talked about um, as we move closer to Thursday. Here is there any chance that the Falcons move on from Julio? I, I know the cap number is quite large, and and it would take a you know the right player to make that move. You know there's there can't be many teams out there that 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 are looking for a top end wide receiver that have that cap room that have that. Is there any chance that Julio? Um, Make gets involved in a in a draft day trade or a pre draft trade in the next couple of days here, or do you think this is another smokescreen here to try to maneuver the draft board a little bit? Uh,
2: I mean, how how fitting of a uh, close on the chapter of Julio Jones in Atlanta if he is involved in a draft day trade, <laughs> just yeah. given the way that his career started um, in Atlanta. But I mean, I think I think everything is possible. Um, Julio is probably a, I would be very interested to see what the potential market for him would be because you could make the argument that he is Atlanta's most valuable trade asset at this point. I mean, if we're looking at the guys who are realistically on the table, you know, Calvin Ridley could be ahead of Julio just given his age and production and and things like that. But I would say that, you know, having Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage in place makes it palatable to, you know, trade Julio. I mean, it, it would be still a big move to move on from somebody who has kind of defined the franchise alongside Matt Ryan for the most successful run in, in team history. But the best NFL teams don't operate from that mindset. It's all about the future. It's a new regime is in place. How do we make this team as good as it could possibly be in the short and long term ranges? And if they decide that you know, they can get a really good haul for Julio. If he still does have that type of trade value where you can get maybe an extra first round pick or a quality player in return, in addition to a couple of picks, I mean, that would be a pretty big return. I don't know if he's even worth that right now, just given his age. He did miss, you know, a good portion of the season last year wide receivers typically, you know, they don't have outside of Larry Fitzgerald kind of like long tails to their career. They do kind of drop off a little bit when once it happens and there could be some concern around the league that, you know, Julio's best days are behind him and and that probably is true. I would still love to see Julio Jones out on the field for for my team. I mean, where whatever team you root for, Julio Jones being there is absolutely better than him not being there, uh, and that remains the case in Atlanta. Now, if they decide that they could trade Julio and draft Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase or somebody like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, then I'm sure these are the conversations that that they're having, and and they might that could very well be the case if they can get a good haul back for Julio. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Julio Jones is still wearing number eleven for Atlanta next year.
0: Well, you, you mentioned somebody in there that I that I wanted to skip to uh, to next, Will, and, and kind of tie a bow on the quarterback position as we talked about Lance and Fields and the possibility of the Falcons possibly taking them at four. You know, where does Terry Fontenad, um stand in relation to with Matt Ryan and his career, and and what's going to happen here if the if the Falcons do go ahead and draft a quarterback at four? Where does that leave Matt Ryan? And if they don't. Draft the quarterback at four. Where does that leave Matt Ryan organizational wise, structure wise in his career? Um, do you think he retires as a, as a Falcon or do you think moving forward, he's always going to be a piece on the block?
2: Um, well, Terry Fontenot, you know, first and foremost, got a, a chance to see all of Matt Ryan's career pretty up close, you know, being with the, the new Orleans saints uh, throughout his NFL career. And I, Matt Ryan, I, believe everybody still believes inside of that building that Matt Ryan is is a very good NFL quarterback right now uh, even at at his age and and will continue to be one for the foreseeable future. You know, unlike wide receiver, we are seeing quarterbacks who can play uh into their 40s and and that's what Matt Ryan has said he wants to do. It's just that Terry Fontenot's job is to consider the future is to map out a plan for you know, success not just now but but down the road and it is really, you know, the question is kind of related to the thing that defined this offseason, which is finances. And when Matt Ryan's contract is up, are you going to want to give him another extension that will still probably be, you know, pretty costly? It's not going to be as high as, as what he was making, you know, during this last contract, but how do you weigh that? And then having Matt Ryan, you know, at 38, 39, 40 versus, getting somebody in here to play behind Matt Ryan for uh, one or two years and then having them on a, on a cheaper rookie deal kind of entering the prime of their career. So that's really the duality of this decision is, do you want to ride into the sunset with kind of the, the horse you rode in on, or do you kind of say, thank you, move along and draft the succession plan as it pertains to Matt Ryan. I mean, I think that it's increasingly happening that players aren't spending their whole career with one team. You know, we saw Phillip rivers come and play in Indianapolis this past season and Tom Brady, obviously down in Tampa. So it's a little bit uh, less uncommon for teams to kind of move, move away from their longtime quarterback. And when you're in position to then draft a successor, it it just makes that conversation uh, much weightier. It, it, now seems real and the Falcons are in a real spot to potentially move along from Matt Ryan even if entering the 2020 season that wasn't a a huge topic of discussion uh, for fans so whether or not they actually decide to move on from a player who again is still playing at probably a Pro Bowl level and and is a former league MVP uh, that remains to be seen if they do actually decide that that's the decision they want to make and they may try to say you know we'll pair him with more talent than he's had and, and we've got better coaching and he can absolutely win us a Super Bowl here in in the short term and we'll figure out quarterback down the road and and just take our chances with new prospects and and all of that. Um or they may just decide that this opportunity is too good to pass up and and grab a guy.
0: Yeah. Yeah it's it's a great conversation. And you look at Arthur Smith and, and what he helped um Ryan Tannehill do in tennessee coming over right in that reclamation project and and taking a guy that possibly looked like his career was over so walking into the door he may his eyes may have lit up looking at it with you know matt ryan's there oh my god that's a that's a probable quarterback what can i do with this guy especially with ridley jones and and all the pieces so kind of a couple more questions before you let we let you go here will um yeah you know some veteran veteran pieces have walked out the door here in in uh, in 2021. You know Ricardo Allen, Alex Mack, uh, James Carpenter on the O line, and you know they try to replace them: Daron Harmon and Josh Andrews and Bart- Barcavius Mingo and a couple other pieces. But how do you see this this Uh, coaching regime um, Terry Fontenot how do you see them building it you know you look at Arthur Smith had success over his career uh, coaching tight ends from 15 to 18 and you know double tight end set and really running the ball in in Tennessee and then you got Dean Pease on the on the defensive side of the ball you know really kind of specializing in 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 pressures and and linebackers and you look at some of those teams from Baltimore and New England that that he coached and Tennessee You know, really pressuring the quarterback and really getting after from from the edge. How do you see um, the Falcons with nine picks here in in the six rounds um, of the first six rounds of this draft? How do you see them shaping this roster? Do you see them kind of going with something that they approach or do you see them trying to add pieces to what's already there and kind of keeping that that core intact and moving from there?
2: Um, it's, it's a good question. I, I think that the free agency side of everything that they have done the best job that they probably could have at adding value, um, given their financial limitations. And and that's something that Terry Fontenot has historically been very good at is kind of finding that mid tier free agent who might be a little bit undervalued um, in the market and, and adding them and then they turn out to have really good runs uh, with at the Saints, I guess, when Terry was doing it in New Orleans, yeah. but I, I think what he said about the draft is, you know, he does believe in in the best player available and and won't pass up. You know, when when he did his introductory press conference with the media, he basically said, "Why am I going to pass up on somebody who I believe could be a future Hall of Famer just because we need a guard?" You know, like that that yeah. doesn't make sense. And his philosophy is to patch needs in free agency with proven NFL talent because that's the best way to ensure that you fix a problem quickly uh and then you just use the draft to really add talent to your roster wherever that may be and i think that you know something that probably gets talked about a little too much or given too much credence is uh the fact that rosters change really quickly in the league you know When people talk about a window, they assume that a core team that's in place is going to be there for seven, eight, nine years. That just doesn't happen. And if you're going to pass up a, a good player solely because you kind of are set at that position, I think that's a little short sighted thinking. You know, the goal is to just have the most talented overall roster possible. And, you know, in a lot of ways, drafting Calvin Ridley, which wasn't a need for the Falcons in 2018, allowed them to then move on from Muhammad Sanu, which got them a second round pick, which then they used for Hayden Hurst. And so just by drafting a, a really good player at a position that wasn't necessarily a need, it allowed you to then maneuver the roster in a certain way that you added value at a different position. And so I think that's the best approach to take in the draft. Now, I might lean more towards the defense on kind of like day two and day three solely because that's the side of the ball I think that is going to undergo the biggest change. Arthur Smith is going to come in and he's going to fit what he wants to do with the players on this roster. But the players on the defensive side of the ball weren't brought here with the intention of running a defense like the one Dean Pease likes to do. So if I'm going to add players in this draft, I'm probably looking to add the specific types of players I want on defense on day two, day three. And and they've they can easily do that while still adding, you know, a running back or still adding an offensive lineman or whatever. But weirdly, I, I think linebacker is the position they are set at on defense. You know, you look at kind of the starting four with Michael Walker, Deion Jones, Foyer and Dante Fowler, and that they're your two pass rushers and they're your two interior linebackers. So um, they're kind of set there, but I would really definitely think that they would address the secondary and the defensive line in the draft.
0: Yeah, and and how could you not with the with the season that happened uh, last year with, you know, some of those leads disappearing um, early in the season that they had, right? So, and and you're right, you know, a little bit more scheme specific uh, in terms of the draft picks to fit what Dean Pease wants to do. I love it. Will, um, let's finish off with this. Tell us more about uh, Falkaholic. What do you got going on? Where can our listeners catch you? And uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself before we let you go here.
2: Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Will McFadden um, with the Falcolic. Uh, great group over there. Just kind of hopping in the mix uh, when I can and adding some kind of deeper dive looks into uh, the draft recently. Uh, I looked back at kind of every draft and who the fourth quarterback was taken in each of those drafts and just kind of how their career panned out. Um, and it wasn't wasn't too great. Uh, we'll We'll actually have a roundtable dropping later this afternoon on everybody's uh, opinions and views of the strategy that the Falcons should take. So kind of like the conversation we just had, uh, what direction should the Falcons go in this draft on in all seven rounds? And then uh, on draft night, I believe we're going to do kind of a Falcolic live pod um, that'll just be running throughout the first round. And I will probably be hopping in on that uh, throughout the evening. Um, So that's kind of what's up with me uh, in the, in the short term, but um continuing to, to just write and uh, do opportunities like this, hop on, hop on some podcasts, talk about the Falcons uh, because it's definitely an interesting time uh, for this team.
0: Amazing. Well, appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll circle back as we get closer to uh, the regular season and, and see the, you know, wave two and three of free agency. And I know, you know, the Falcons, we talked about, they don't have a whole lot of room underneath the cap, but, you never know what happens from uh, from now until then and, and what uh, you know, the regime can do to maneuver some of that. So thanks again for coming on. We appreciate it. Enjoy the draft. Listeners, make sure you're following Will on Twitter with all of his pods, Falcoholic And thanks again, Will.
2: Yep, no problem. Thank you. That was a great, uh,
0: great dive into the Atlanta Falcons, the number four pick, their thoughts, new regime with Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot. So absolutely great background great insight to that number four pick and listeners that's the type of information and stuff that you're gonna hear on this podcast now um in terms of diving deep into specific teams in the world of NFL football. We're excited for it and uh thanks for those two guests for coming on. But let's continue on. I know we heard Matt talk about this next team and this next pick and that's the fifth overall pick and that's the team of the Cincinnati Bengals. You know you go out and you, you draft Joe Burroughs last year you pair him with T. Higgins, go get another wide receiver. You need help there. You're in the fifth overall pick. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Cincinnati. You got 38-69, 112, and 150, so there's room there. Do they go out and do they, they get the tackle that they need to pair up? You've got a receiver, quarterback, tackle now. You still need help. Carl Lawson's leaving uh, last year, so you need help at edge. So there's some needs there but it'll be interesting to see what Cincinnati does, as they will need as much firepower as possible when you're going up the likes against the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers and Cleveland Browns now in that AFC North division. The Miami Dolphins uh, in the sixth overall pick, and boy, this is an interesting one, and it lands close to home for me in terms of They've got the 18th overall, the 36th, the 50th, the 82nd, folks. They've got five picks inside the first two and a half rounds of the draft. They've done an absolutely amazing job of manipulating the board, manipulating trades, and really accumulating picks over the last two, three years here to be able to do what they need to do. A playoff contender last year falling just short in that loss to Buffalo in Week 17 last year. But now is the time. Uh, Do they go get the sexy big receiver? Is Chase there? Is Waddle there? Do they take a flyer on Devontae Smith at 166 pounds, like Matt mentioned? It'll be interesting to see, but they do need help at edge. They do need help at running back. So will they take a running back um, at 36? Does an ATN or a Najee Harris uh, fall out of the first round? Or do they take... Um, One of the boys from UNC, uh, Javante Williams or Michael Carters in that second round. Or a Trey Sermon from Ohio State. Or a Jared Patterson from the University of Buff. So some interesting um, needs. Some interesting times ahead here for the Miami Dolphins with their draft and what they are looking for. Number seven, the Detroit Lions. We talked about it. They're, to me, a prime candidate for a trade back they need help everywhere except tight end and running back as they got DeAndre Swift and uh and Hawkinson at the tight end spot but they need help absolutely everywhere quarterback o line d line um secondary to me it, it is an absolute no brainer for the Detroit Lions to find a trade partner who that could be Denver Philly Minnesota New England maybe even Vegas Um, Could they find one of those spots even Matt talked about is all the way down to uh, Pittsburgh and New Orleans. So it'll be interesting to see what Detroit does. But to me, they've got to accumulate as much picks as possible, as much draft capital as possible to just add to the talent on this roster. That's the most important, important part of the Detroit Lions draft. The Carolina Panthers trade for Sam Darnold in the eighth overall pick. What do they do, and to me, um, this is such an interesting pick because this is a pick that, much like Denver, that will determine be determined sorry, will be determined by what happens in front of them, who's available, who's on the board? do they want to go m- try to move up if they see a little bit of a run? Do they want to move back? Do they like a quarterback um, if Atlanta takes a quarterback? Now four of them are gone, and they liked one of those quarterbacks, hoping that one would fall. Do they trade back? Um, Are they looking for a receiver? There's so many things with Carolina there um, to take into account, and I think for both of those squads, Matt uh, touched a little bit on Denver as well in terms of the quarterback position. So it'll be really interesting to see. Uh, what happens with those two picks. To me, Denver needs help at corner and linebacker and could probably even use a little uh, right tackle as well. So for them, um, I see them more as staying put as Carolina, to me, is either going to move up or move back. I really highly doubt that they'll stay at that spot. 39-73, 114, and 152. They're going to try to fill some needs in that uh, in the draft as well and continue to add... To the talent of this roster as they did last year. Uh, That'll be the key for the Carolina Panthers. A team that I find very interesting at 10 and has a lot of firepower, six picks inside the top 150. They need a lot of help on defense and a lot of help inside that interior offensive, that aging interior offensive line. And that's the Dallas Cowboys. What is going to happen? And for once, I think to me, this is about you've accumulated the draft capital now go capitalize on it Jerry Jones do a good job job drafting you've got talent on that roster you're truly just trying to fill a few specific holes to help this squad out and really put it over the top Um, obviously the injury to Dak Prescott was a huge hit last year but this this is a talented roster don't kid yourself and I think with a few picks here there This team can be, you know, not a Super Bowl contender, but a playoff contender back in that race. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Dallas Cowboys if Jerry Jones can stay patient and just draft and do a good job with the information and the draft board and what's out there. Dave Gettleman and the New York Giants have been very quiet, you you know, um, in terms of draft. The last few years they've been near the top and they've been one of the major players in this draft. And this year they fall... Um, you know, improving out on the football field and and they fall to 11th overall. You've got the 42nd, 76th, and 117th pick overall. You went out and you got Kenny Galladay. To me, with the new 3-4 system they're running, they need help on the edge. They need pass rushers. Is a Makai Parsons there at 11 to go help you um, get that pass rusher and get the number one pass rusher in the draft? That'll be the key spot because – the other pass rushers, they're mid to late first first or second rounders. I don't see a lot of value in any anybody else other than him at, the, him at, him at that outside linebacker position. In terms of interior linebackers on a 3-4 defense, I don't see anyone being that high. Um, so it, it's an interesting draft for the Giants. They could still use an old little O-line help. There are some question marks there as well. So the Giants will be one of those teams, I think, as much as Dallas, same as Dallas. Um, Just hang tight, do a good job picking, and uh, you'll be okay down the road. The Philadelphia Eagles making a lot of noise in the offseason and now making some trades with Miami. And from what we've heard over the last 24 hours, trying to get back up into the top 10. And that's where I see the likes of Detroit and Carolina. That will be Philly's way and path back into the top 10. Do they have the capital enough to get back up in there? Uh, You're probably going to have to give up the 37th pick um, to get back up to seven or eight. So that loses one of those picks that you have. So it'll be interesting to see what Philly wants to leverage here. They're looking for a receiver to pair with Jalen Hurts. That's why Philly's trying to get back up into the top 10. They feel that if Cincinnati, uh, you know, if Cincinnati, Atlanta gets Pitts, Cincinnati gets um, Chase, Miami takes Smith or Waddell. Where does that leave them in terms of the receiver? Or if one of those receivers fall, um, they're looking at seven or eight there depending on how that board unfolds uh, for them to get back up to get the receiver they're looking for. And a team that that is quietly just gone about their business with some new coaching in town, and that is the LA Chargers coming over. Brandon Staley from the Rams, defensive coordinator, first-year coach. With the 13th overall pick, you've got five picks within the first four rounds. So at 47, 78, 98, and 119, you've gone out and you've got Corey Lindsley. You've got Brian Balaga. What are you going to do now for those Los Angeles Rams? Do you go out if a tackle falls, that second best tackle on the board behind Swell, Benny Swell, do you go out and, and do you pick them up? Do you pick up a Rayshawn Slater or a Christian uh, Derisov from Virginia Tech? Or do you hang tight and you you try to get somebody off the edge or a corner, a Patrick Sertan or a Samuel or a Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech as well? They need somebody to pair with Joey Bosa off the edge. That's probably, that O-Tackle and that are probably their biggest needs. It's important that they find one of these needs. I don't think for them they're going to be able to draft available I think with this pick you got to go got to fill a need and in this draft because you've got Herbert coming into year two this squad is playoff ready it's got enough veterans got enough leadership there so this is important draft for those LA Chargers to really make a jump they cannot miss on this 13th overall pick and the 47th overall pick they can get two even almost three game changers here at 78. If they can move back uh, even up into the top uh, fifties or sixties, three game changers to really push them over the top. Another interesting team that I think is a quiet team that will possibly trade up these next probably 13 through 15 are real interesting because I think they're all contenders to trade back up into the top 10. And that's the chargers who we just spoke about the Minnesota Vikings. Listen, listen, 79, 91, 120, 126, 135, and 144. Seven picks inside the top 150. You need O-line help. You need help off the edge to pair with Daniel Hunter. Just like the Bosa situation. You've got the two monsters inside and Dalvin Tomlinson coming over in free agency and Michael Pierce. You need somebody to pair with Hunter. If that person you feel is there at Number fourteen, hang tight and stay, or do you go up and do you go get the best pass rusher in this draft? Is he worth that pick? You know, is it a Phillips? Is it a Page from Michigan? Um, you know, are they a scheme fit for what Zimmer wants to do, or do you hang tight and and take Darasa or Mayfield, um, offensive tackle? At that position. Or do you you like Rayshon Slater enough. To go up and get him out of Northwestern. Or Suell if he falls. So Minnesota's got the firepower. They've got the needs to want to go out. And try to um, find their guy in that first round. And then fill the rest of those needs. uh, With the rest of those uh, six picks. That they have inside the top uh, 150. The New England Patriots. Hey. Do they want to go get. Their franchise quarterback. That <clears throat> is the one question in this draft. They've got needs at linebacker and wide receiver. Um, wide receiver is a deep draft, so you got to see them maybe taking one at forty-six or ninety-seven. Um, and they need a linebacker as well. So for them, what happens at fifteen? Do they are they the team that trades up and goes and gets that franchise quarterback, or do they hang tight and take the wide receiver or the linebacker there? and then get the quarterback a little bit later on a Kyle Trask or you know one of those quarterbacks that falls off. Maybe um, Lance or Fields or Jones falls down to 10, 11, 12, 13, and they, they make a slight move and go up and get them at that point. That'll be interesting for New England. The Arizona Cardinals, we we briefly talked about them at 16 uh, at, to start out this podcast. To me, they're a, they're a prime candidate to trade down. They still still need some talent on that roster to push them over the top. Eight and eight squad just always seem to be hovering there right now for the last three four years. To me, it's trade down, trade down with with a uh, Chicago if they like somebody, Pittsburgh, uh, Cleveland, Baltimore, New Orleans. One of these teams that may want to come up into the mid teens at sixteen and get the player they want and accumulate more capital. Try to help your squad by accumulating the picks. We talk about Vegas. Hey, they've got the, at 17, they've also got 80 and 81 and 48. To me, will they make a move, Mike Mayock special here, late in the first round with a Buffalo, uh, with a Tampa Bay, uh, with one of these squads that, wants to get more capital, i.e. even Pittsburgh at 24 maybe, that wants to trade out of the first round, and Vegas really likes one of their players that they've got on their board. They can switch 80 or 81 and come back up into that first round with maybe a 2022 or 2023 pick and uh, find themselves with 17 and a late first rounder as well. Interesting for Vegas. They've got a few holes to fill, but they'll be an interesting draft. Washington, kind of a little bit of a sleeper. I know Matt mentioned them as a potential team that could fire back up into this uh, mid-first round or late top 10 or just outside the top 10. I don't see it happening. I think they're comfortable with where things are at. They're going to take the best player available on the board and kind of move forward from there. They're comfortable at that quarterback position. I'm not too sure about it, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. The Chicago Bears... The team that everybody's talking about right now, they're all talking about, will the Bears make the move to go get the quarterback? They've got the Red Rocket, Andy Dalton, and Nick Foles under contract right now. I just don't see them having the firepower to do it, folks. With uh, the 20th, 52nd, and 84th overall pick, you better really like somebody, and that's a far way up to four, five, six, seven. Um, You're giving up 52 and maybe next year's first to move all the way back up um to get one of those top four quarterbacks i just don't see the bears wanting to do that they've got too many other needs offensive tackle wide receiver cornerback um so there's too many other needs there for the chicago bears to try to be able to make the move i see the bears um staying put at 20 maybe even trading back a little bit and uh and trying to accumulate a few more picks moving forward in the future. Couple. Uh, AFC South teams now. The Indianapolis Colts and the Tennessee Titans. Indy with the 21st overall pick, the 54th and 128th pick. Two squads that are on the precipice of really being contenders, but they need something to push them over the top. Listen, Indy makes the move for Carson Wentz, pairs them with Frank Reich. They feel that they can rekindle some magic. They need some help at receiver still. They need some help at that right tackle spot. They lose a couple pass rushers in the offseason to Danico Autry to Tennessee. Justin Houston's one more year old, older. What are the Indianapolis Colts going to do? Um, are they going to try to replace some of the corners that have left them as well? So interesting draft for the Colts in terms of, you know, in a, in a later first round spot, will they be able to find that difference maker to really be able to push them over the edge um, to make a deep, deep playoff run. Ultimately, it comes down to the progression of Carson Wentz and the reemergence and, um, of Carson Wentz and Frank Wright being able to rekindle that magic. The Tennessee Titans, you know what? I, I, I've gone on air saying I liked Autry. I liked the Bud Dupree pickup. They lose Corey Davis. They need help. They need another wide wide receiver to pair with A.J. Brown. They've got the king in the backfield but they need a second wide receiver to be able to really go out and and contend with some of these big, big offensive teams. So it'll be interesting to see what Tennessee does there. They've got 53 and 86 as well. So they're right on that cusp of that 75 uh, pick mark that we talked about with Matt here in terms of the talent evaluation drop off there. So They're also looking for a corner. They could use a real shutdown corner. Dory Jackson's out the door now, so it'll be interesting to see what the Tennessee Titans do here moving forward. We talked about the New York Jets and the Jacksonville Jaguars, Um, so we're now sandwiched in between those two picks with the Pittsburgh Steelers, the black and gold. And that sandwiches it between the Pittsburgh Steelers with the 24th overall pick as we've talked about, 23 and 25 with Jacksonville. Hey, they've got 55, 88, 129, and 141. Uh, you need some help at corner. you got an aging offensive line. Villanueva's uh, gone over to divisional uh, competitor Baltimore now. If you're going to make one more run with Big Ben, you've got to find some O-line help. Is there a corner or o-line that can that you feel good enough about that you've got to have in that mid teens um to be able to jump up into the top 10 that will be tough i think they're comfortable with their wide receivers the tight end position is not deep enough in this draft to go to go up and get anybody else other than Pitts. i see it's it's cornerback o-line help Maybe some, some safety help uh, for Pittsburgh if they want to trade back or stay where they are, but I really just see them staying put and really trying to focus in on one of those two positions, specifically O-line, to keep Ben upright, to be able to have the time, to be able to get the ball more than eight yards down the field. That's important. That's that's one of the things that Pittsburgh, we saw last year with them, uh, the O-line was just decimated, just porous, and um, that's why the quick passing game had to come into effect or else Ben would have been absolutely trounced. We slide down to another team, a team that I thought um, these next two teams, Cleveland and Baltimore, had the ability to be able to move up through draft capital and the need and the want. Listen, both of these teams are close. We heard Matt talk about Baltimore trying to push over the edge. I think Cleveland's right there as well. Uh, I think if you can get a, a pass rusher and move up to 16, or even 11 where the Giants are, uh, even 8. Cleveland's got the firepower to do it. They've got a deep roster. They may be a team that could slide from, move from 26 all the way up to 8 with Carolina, or 11 with the Giants, or 16 with Arizona. I see Cleveland moving up in this draft to go get who they want. They've got 59. They've got 90. They've got 92, 111, 133. They've got tons of picks. They can mortgage a little bit of the future as well because they're right on that cusp of of making a push. Uh, To me, they're still the class in the NFC North. And if they can go find a difference maker, especially at the pass rush position, look out in the AFC North because uh, Cleveland will continue to get better here. Um, Baltimore, listen, unless they really like somebody, I think they're comfortable just continuing to add talent. Uh, They're comfortable in in their drafting ability. They feel that they can draft well enough to add two decent playmakers at 27 and 31. Look what they did last year um, with Patrick Queen. Absolutely steal. uh, CJ Mosley. They just tend to find these fit scheme linebackers uh, late in these rounds or late in the first round, early second. So, I see Baltimore, they got the potential to move up, but I see them um, staying put and just taking 27 and 31. You don't make a trade like that unless you're comfortable with you drafting or you have the thought that you might want to move up uh, a few spots to go get a player that you really, really like. Uh, New Orleans, listen, this is a two-year dra- uh, salary cap reclamation project. Uh, I'd have to disagree with Matt on this one. I just don't see New Orleans doing this. They're still in cap jail. They still got work to do. Even after the Breeze retirement, you've only got 60, the 28th, the 60th, the 99, 106, and 134. You know, you've got five picks in the first four rounds, so you, you don't have a crazy amount of capital. Why not try and get some some starters, some playmakers? on your squad, under a rookie contract for two, three, four years. Get yourself in a better cap situation and then start to make a run back at it once you've finally figured out the quarterback position, whether it be a veteran trade, free agent market next year, or um, you know maybe a hit on one of the draft picks at 106 and 34 for an underrated quarterback in this draft. The Green Bay Packers, we talked about them with Matt. Hey, you've got the extra fourth, fifth, and sixth Go get your playmaker. Sure up the offensive line. Get wide receiver help. Pick up a corner. And uh, the Green Bay Packers should be there again. They're still the best team in the NFC North. We'll see what the Green Bay Packers can do. They're a team to keep an eye on in this draft. Not only in the first round and night one, folks, but also on night two, three, and four. Watch the Green Bay Packers manipulate the board and go get the players they want to try to push them over the top. And... Not last but not least, the two teams left. We talked about Baltimore, but Sandwich in Baltimore at 30 is Buffalo and 32 is Tampa. Buffalo, to me, is drafting best player available on the board. 21 out of 22 returning starters coming back. You've got two slight needs in, in pass rush and uh, running back, a, a home run hitter running back. Um, if Najee... Harris and Travis Etienne are not on the board. You know it's going pass rush. If not, uh, it'll be interesting to see what Buffalo does, but I think they're going to hit um, definitely in the first round with one of those two picks, and definitely two out of the first three rounds you will see, I believe, another running back and a pass rusher come off the board for the Buffalo Bills. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and same with the Buffalo Bills. I think both of these teams have a potential to trade out of the first round late in that first round so it'll be interesting to see if either of those teams do it but tampa doesn't have a lot of needs maybe some interior defensive line help that's about it but uh other than that a lot of starters returning they're locked in a lot of playmakers a lot of guys that took them to that super bowl victory so it'll be interesting to see what those two of those last three teams do but an exciting draft exciting time The schedule's up on May 12th, folks. What a great time to be talking NFL football. That's Ginger's NFL Draft Breakdown. We're excited to bring it to you. We're going to kick you off the break. We'll catch you on the flip side with Dutch and some PGA Tour, LPGA Tour talk. We're excited. We'll catch you on the flip side.
1: Has to open it up, clip it just perfectly, and spin it very similar. to actually hold on 12.
2: This is a great shot that is. This is a great shot. That is oh, pure class. Oh,
1: that's well game.
2: Welcome back to your winning ways. Brooke Henderson win number 10. It's here in L.A. Huge L.A. Premier L.A. Open, the third edition in Henderson. A sigh of relief.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed that segue there—a perfect segue away from the NFL draft talk that we just hammered out with our two amazing guests. And now bringing back the mainstay, the OG, the man himself, Dutch. Are you are you there with us? Oh boy, <laughs> who would have thought I'm still kicking around here? I uh, I'm
3: here, excited to to talk some golf. Uh, Some amazing things going on uh, just recently with golf with uh, with Brooke Henderson, who I know you want to talk about a little bit, but, you know, I'm sitting here tonight, you know, we're still in a lockdown and I'm why I'm wondering what the hell's going on. Why we're the only place in North America, not golfing. I watched the PGA yesterday as we record here on, on Monday. And it, it was just sad just to see all the fans, a no mass cheering. I, how bad, I'm not into talking politics, but man, our government's failed pretty miserably
0: on this one. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. And it might even, I don't, I don't know anywhere in the world that's golf, got golf banned right now. No, we're the only ones. We're the I only think ones. It might, I think
3: it might be the entire world. It's just ridiculous, ridiculous. But in any event, uh, I'm happy to be on. I'm happy to, to, to chat golf and, it's, it's been a while. It's been a few weeks. I know you revamped it, and it, it looks great. I, I love, uh, I love the new name, and and clearly you're rolling. Uh, I can't wait to listen to uh, the guests that you had on uh, this week. Uh, draft is coming up on Thursday, so that's some exciting times. And I know you're pretty pumped for it, so um, it, it should be good. But yeah, let's talk some golf here. Uh, where do you want to go? I'm, I'm ready for whatever you want to fire at me.
0: Well, let's start with uh, where our segue came from, and that was the darling of Canada as we speak right now, and that is the 23-year-old from Smith Falls, Ontario, one of the best player, young players in the game right now, and that's Brooke Henderson. Dutch, what are your thoughts? Uh, double-digit wins now. She's got that major in her pocket. How high is the ceiling here for Brooke? Well, oh, how good is she, right? I mean,
3: it's hard to believe that you're looking at a 23-year-old young female that is you not only taken the scene but now is the, the number one all-time Canadian golfer with wins. It's hard to believe that her last win was back in 2019 in June, actually at Magna Golf Club, which we, we you and I have played, which is locally uh, just around the corner from where both you and I live. But no doubt, she's 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 phenomenal. Um, she continues to grow. I don't know how far up she can climb. Uh, you know, she's only won one major, but you know, those more of them are going to come. Uh, I just think she's she's phenomenal for the game and and she's just well rounded and she just keeps getting better and better. Where do you see her? I know you were talking to me kind of off air about you know um, like a win plateau like cuz I got an opinion on it but what what's your thought there? Well, well here's what I'm
0: thinking. The, there there is no limit for this young girl because you know what she's she's just outside the top 50 right now at 23 years old all time on the LPGA tour wins list. Like you said, it's only one major, so that, that's fine. you got tons of time to, to accumulate another three, four, five, unlimited amount of those. But she's, she's approaching the prime of her career here now. And I know, like you said, we've talked about this. If she can take an eight- to 12-year window, and 12 years only puts her at 35 years of age,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, and reel off a win or two or three every single year, that's going to put her, that, you know, let's just say that's another 20 victories or 25 victories. That's at 30 to 35 with a couple more majors in there. That's a guaranteed Hall of Fame career. That's a guaranteed top 20 to 30 players, female players of all time. That, it's just incredible. And to me, that would be, if that's where she finishes up at 35, 40 years old, and she she fades off into the sunset to end her career, we're talking about possibly one of the greatest Canadian athletes of all time. 100%
3: uh, she she will get to that spot where she's going to be talked about for, for, for a long time and, and for all the years to come with, even when our kids get into, to heavily into golf, she'll be a a mainstay name that we'll always talk about, you know, 50 seems like a long, long, long way away. And I don't know if she'll ever get there. I kind of had her in that 35 win category as well. I just think the world competition is so much stronger now and it seems more realistic to me that that's a, that's a number. Think about, think about it. There's only six ladies that have, have got 50 plus wins. I think the most recent is Annika and even the great Nancy Lopez didn't even get 50. I think she's at 47 or 48. So um, will she get there? Uh, No, I don't think so with the competition. You look at the, the Korean stars and all the, the, the overseas stars, which, you know who's going to be favorite? We got the U.S. Open coming up in June here. You know, you know. Do you think Brooke is one of the favorites, or do you think that that threesome contingent that are uh, number one, two, three in the world? Do you think the the Koreans are still the the heavy
0: favorites for that U.S. Open? No, I think Brooke's got to be there. just like I put up on our on a, on the Instagram. We're going back to Cali, baby. Yeah. Olympic Golf Club. You know what? You just won right out of outside of Beverly Hills. You're going to San Francisco now. You got the West Coast feels. She's got the demeanor for it. You know what? I, I was saying this off air to my brother. Next to Lydia Ko, she is the best star right now. She's better than Nelly Corda. I, I know K- Korda's just coming on now, mm-hmm. but next to Lydia Coe, she's the best superstar under the age of 25 years old. And and to me, she's she's got to be in the top, like you said, top two to four favorites heading into the u.s open no doubt her game suits the u.s open if she can get the putter rolling she'll be there yeah and
3: let's let's hope that this this latest win kind of vault vaults her into uh um, you know a, a rash of wins here down the road here maybe she wins three or four times in you know this season and um turns kind of a year and a half of of no wins Into um, into a nice streak there where she can carry
0: her momentum and possibly win another major as well, for sure. Well, speaking about carrying momentum, Dutch, have you been carrying your momentum into about forty million bucks? I hope you've uh, opened up your new Twitter account and uh, you've you've freshened up on your your Google AdWords because uh, what are your thoughts on this PJ Tour initiative? Forty million bucks given away to. People that might not be able to even play golf that good.
3: I think it's a joke. Um, I think it's it's a sheer popularity contest. It's um, it's a smart business move, possibly for
0: for the PGA Tour. Um, yeah, I feel like they're they're trying to they're trying to give away free money to keep some of these the big stars around, away from a possibly another golf league sparking up i know we've had talks yes for yes
3: you're, you're, you're right and that's possibly the way it is and and was this initiated by some of the big stars because they're they're sitting there well then you know what why don't they just continue to give them bigger appearance fees etc it, it it just they're the rewarding the you know the top 10 most influential people that are going to drive the pga that's what this is sort of gear for geared for yeah um you know does the PGA need people to drive their product? I mean, look at the millions and billions of dollars that that they're putting out and that they're creating. and And how's how's FedEx going to like this this program? Um, I know they're they've got a massive contract with them right now. I think for another five or six years. But you know, it it just doesn't make sense to me why now they're coming out with this, especially in the pandemic. I mean, last time I checked. Um, I think last year, they la- the PGA itself laid off over 50 employees. Hmm, But now you can just come out and, and bring $40 million out and spend it on the 10 wealthiest players, per se? It, it, it just doesn't make sense to me.
0: Yeah. You know what? And, and written deep in, in in that contract and not a lot of what's talked about is the fact that if you want to be involved with this, and want to be able to make earnings off of it and be involved in the $40 million payout, you've got to agree, and I know it's small, but to one corporate event per year. And you've got to add one uh, scheduled tournament to your schedule that is not typically on your schedule or is not involved in one of the top field type of events, so i.e. Sawgrass, um, the PGA Championship, some of those bigger field events. So it's got to be a a mid-tier to smaller-tier event. So you start doing the math on it, you know. I'm I'm looking at it, you know. You do these these Monday corporate events, you know, the the Billy Andrade specials at Sea Island, Georgia. Those events are raising four hundred to six hundred thousand dollars in on a on those days, are they not, Dutch? Yeah, they're making huge, absolutely. And that's exactly so, what
3: this is about. This is about right? This is about them throwing their forty million into turn it into four hundred million, and it's a, it's no doubt that's the reason why they're doing it. I just think that there's other ways to spend their money. I mean, why don't they do what, you know, you know, start giving more to the charities. I mean, they could have did ex- exactly what major league baseball is doing with, uh, and I don't want to go on a, a politic rant here, but you know, look, look what they did in Atlanta here, uh, how they moved out. So, Oh, but the PGA doesn't want to move um, the tour championship from Eastlake because there's too many charities. Well, give that money to charities and move on and go somewhere else and, and, and spend more money to the charities. Cause they, they talk themselves that they're a, a massive charity uh, um, affiliation that they do constantly. I, I think it's the money's better worth spending elsewhere
0: than trying to put more money in their pockets. Cause that's really what this is about. Yeah. And I think, I think you're right. I, I can't argue that Nick. I can't argue the point, the timing of it just seems poor. Um, the explanation of it seems poor and it, it just, it just reeks of something else going on. Like you said. So yeah. Couldn't agree. Let's let's move on to uh, the Valspar. We, we took a couple weeks off there. We've regrouped. We're, we're back down in Florida in Brook, Copperhead course, the snake pit finish Um, tough golf course. Who are your picks Dutch? That's what we want to hear. I got a long shot. I did get a, bring up a winner there in the Masters. I know we took a couple weeks off of that, but I did have Hideki Matsuyama. But uh, Dutch, let's hear your picks for the
3: Valspar this and, week. And I'm, and I'm glad you just brought that up before I throw my picks in there because that's a, a huge kudos to you for, for a major uh, victory and having uh, Hideki in that. We didn't get a chance to talk to that. And I did some research while we were off these last couple of weeks there before I came on and uh, to commit to, to keep keeping this thing rolling with some golf here. And I looked at the PGA Tour. I looked at CBS Sportsline. That's just to name a few. And there's no one in the country, let alone North, North America, that has had better results over the past six months than the ginger and Dutch. Love and- it. And that is the truth, folks. So look it up because we ain't going anywhere and we're going to keep picking winners. So on to Innisbrook. Here we go. Florida, par 71, right? Yep, so par 71. We, we got some friends that are members there. And, you know, although we haven't had the invite ourselves, uh, all I continue to hear from those guys okay. is that it's a shot maker's course. We know it. Shot maker, shot maker, shot maker. It was canceled last year due to the pandemic. So we got Paul Casey as the defending back-to-back champion. Yep. And like I said, it's one of the tougher courses on the tour. Not often do they get into crazy double digits. In fact, the last three, uh, the last 10 years, it's only happened three times where they've been deeper than minus 10. So we know that it's going to be difficult. So that being said, there's a theme in my picks here and it's, I don't want to use horses for courses, but there's a theme here. So at 36 to one, he's had some success here. He tied for T. He was T two in 2019. He's won on the tour before. Um, that was just recently, six months ago, and he's been really, really solid the last little while. He had a T twenty one last week. I know it was a team format with Pat Perez. I really like him here, and that's Jason Kolcra. Oh, 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 I love it. Okay, then we're gonna stick. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go. Um, we're sticking to this little thirty to one uh, program here, and that is sanjay him. Ball striker, of course, he he was fantastic at Harbour Town, which we know is a tough golf course. He was T13 there. He also played well at the Honda and Durrell which we know again is a tough track. He was T8 there, and back in 2019, cue up the theme. He was T4 there. So I'm liking the repeat guys here at Innisbrook. There's been a bunch of repeat winners there as well. So I think there's just something to be said about this golf course on 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 guys that like the course when they play well there they continue to play well there and my lock of the week I gotta go back again he should have won here in 2019 he was the leader going into the Sunday before he shot a rare 74 which shocked a lot of people because typically he can close these events but and that's he hasn't had that good of a of a start to the season but you know what um, he's still number one in the world and that's the big man that is Dustin johnson at 11 to 1 again i think he's going to be there he's he found something back at harbortown a couple weeks back he had a 67 and he closed off with a 66 again at a shot golf course so dj's my stud of the week love
0: it love it well you'll be uh you'll be surprised and you'll laugh at one of my picks here i went with two rock steady picks i'll start with my first one fresh off dunking in the water in the playoff but you know oh, what he, wow. he, he does he does play well here he does. Um, T, T2 in in 2019, T, T16 in eighteen, and tied for seventh in 2016. 25 to 1. How could you not? You talked about Shopmaker's golf course, Iron's golf course. Um, friend of the show, my brother, has actually played down there in one of the World Junior events many, many years ago. Talked about how above the hole is absolutely dead there. So you've got to control the ball coming into the greens. And none other, no better iron players out there, especially right now, and that's Louis Oosthuizen. I'm taking Louis to Love bounce it. back after Love a tough it. playoff loss last week. Let's hope he can win on U.S. soil. Yeah, that's right. You mentioned two, T2 in 2019. I'm going to pile on a little extra here, Dutch. 2018, he was T8. 2015, he was T7. And all the way back to 2014, he was also T14, 35-1. to 1. I'm hopping on the train. Come on and ride it, baby. Jason Kokrak. I'm taking him as well, Dutch. <laughs> I love it. We never even
3: – we have not talked in a week about golf. And we That's both it. have come up with the same one. I love it.
0: Yep. And my long shot. I'm going way out. It's it's baseball season now. I'm going out to, to left field, baby. Uh, over top of the monster on this one. You know what? T-40 in uh, 2019. T-46 in 18. Tied for 14th in 2017. He was decent last week. He had a hole in one. He's starting to show a little bit of form. He can play on this golf course. Another good iron player when he's on at 225 to one Dutch. Oh, I'm boy. taking the Irishman. I'm taking Graham McDowell on the long, 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 long shot pick of the week. <laughs> I love it. That's the highest <laughs>
3: one we've ever had on here, buddy. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. You know,
0: So those are my picks. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, Dutch, always a pleasure having you on. I know you're going to be around talking golf uh, from a week-in, week-out basis with me, so I'm excited. I hope all the listeners enjoyed, enjoyed the uh, the draft preview. Hope you enjoyed the, the voice of Dutch being back on. We're going to call it Triple G Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast with a little spice of Dutch in there as well. And uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you later. (音楽) Thank you.